With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everyone, to Rockin' Nation Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Sam Snelling. We're here for another episode of Dive Cuts. We are a Missouri basketball podcast. It should be an interesting podcast because I've got, uh, as always, Matthew J. Harris with me. Uh, but we're going to talk about this uh, this Missouri team as they've wrapped up the regular season. They are looking forward to a SC, SEC tournament uh, conference uh, and then kind of turning our focus a little bit to the NCAA tournament, which uh, for the first time, really, uh, and I, you know, I think four years ago, we all knew that Missouri was going to you know, be in the tournament, but there was a little bit of sweating it out. I don't think there's going to be any sweating it out. Uh, this time, Missouri is, uh, is solidly in. They were so uh, as pro- probably like, what, two, two and a half weeks ago? Yeah, probably. If you... I mean, the only question was, could they get, could they keep their seed line from sliding below eight? Um, I think they've, they're on that line right now, depending on which bracketologist you uh, believe is accurate. But th- they're in that seven eight range right now. But I don't think there was ever really any jeopardy of them falling out of the field. Um, it was just a question of how big of a slide would there be if they didn't uh, get some wins to close the final stretch of the season. Well, on a bracket matrix, they are the top-seeded seventh, seventh seed. Um, I think that's about right. I think for the, the I, I realized, like, you know, I kind of had a dig at Lenardi a little on Twitter today. Um, Lenardi tends to get a lot of, of the teams right, but his seeding is often bad. I So I think Lenardi, like, at least in my opinion, uh, like, Obviously, him and Palm are probably like the two most well-known uh, bracketologists because of their kind of longevity in the space. Uh, but I certainly like. I think they're they're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to Missouri. Palm is very high in Missouri. Uh, he's had them at like a four and a five seed when everybody else is like, oh, they're dropping. Uh, Lenardi seems to have dropped them a little too far. Uh, so uh, weirdly enough, I think Palm last uh, had him at a five. Lenardi had him at an eight. So I think. Kind of that like uh, high seven seems to make a lot of sense, and it would not surprise me, Matt, uh, if if all those quad one wins added up to a uh, just squeaking into the six line. Uh, if when everyone updated their brackets yesterday on Bracket Matrix, there were seventy or so uh, amateur bracketologists uh, that uh, updated predictions. Missouri's average seed was around six point eight five. Uh, the median was seven, and if you believe standard deviations should capture eighty percent of the options, they were between, I think, a high five and a low eight. So that's that's kind of with us, with yes. a high six 
So basically, the the cut the break point between the six and the seven line was was about the landing point where the consensus is. So to your point about um, Lenardi and Palm, their peer they're they're right in line with their peers. They're kind of at the poles, um, but everyone in aggregate is kind of put Missouri right on that cut of six to seven. Yeah, is where they sit right now. So it. Again, uh, and that makes sense. Uh, I'm working on a piece about this. Missouri, if you look at their underlying efficiency metrics compared to other teams in, in that terrain, is very comparable when you look at how Missouri plays and performs in quad one wins and in how Missouri loses basketball games. So uh, I don't think, you know, we can, people are going to focus on those two, but I think in general, uh, bracketologists have pegged this team pretty, pretty accurately as being right on that 6-7 cut line at this point as they get ready to go to Nashville this week. Well, last week, if you listened to the pod, Matt, do you listen to the podcast? Uh, occasionally I do, but I hate the sound of my own voice. Uh, I'm sure a lot of other people do too. Uh, so I'm sure I'm not alone in that sentiment. <laughs> well, last week on the pod, we were previewing the Florida and LSU games. And uh, one of us liked the matchup against Florida better. And uh, the other liked the matchup against LSU better. How'd that turn out? I mean, <laughs> they were both close games in the final minute, so it's not. No, like there's it. there's no weaseling out of this. Uh, we're we're gonna talk. Actually, like I was kind of making the, the the joke actually to my own wife uh, today, um, how I was gonna give you a hard time about that, and how then I was going to then explain that I figured both these games would be close. Um, and when you play close games, sometimes it usually comes down to one or two possessions. In Missouri's case at Florida, uh, they won that possession. And then and if depending on how you, you look at it, uh, you know, Xavier Penson had kind of a weird shot attempt that didn't go Missouri's way. And then, um, you know, Trenton Watford uh, certainly um, scored over Mitchell Smith and a little easier than I think a lot of people probably expect considering, you know, Mitchell's semi-prowess for defense um that they had I, I the weird thing was i wasn't surprised they went to that action they had had a lot of success they had been running like horns looks and they'd been and they'd been using like a high pick and roll out of that to get a switch and they could either have a guy bury the guard that switched off in the post and they could dump in or they could feed to the elbow and just let Watford go to work on someone faced up. And so he had had some success against Mitch. Some hadn't dropped, but he had gotten to that kind of like mid floater teardrop look in the first half. So I was, that look didn't really surprise me. And he'd had some success going against Mitch there, but, but I digress. Um, well, so one of, one of the reasons, and I, you kind of talked about it a little bit um, with the matchup against Florida. One is, you know, I know that uh, we both sort of have our own trust levels with, uh, with Mike White and the way he feels his teams, they have sort of been playing, uh, you know, better. But still, you know, Florida on the offensive efficiency side tends to be less efficient than uh, LSU. LSU is a really, really good offensive team. Um, they've shown the propensity to be uh, occasionally decent at defense. And when they are occasionally decent at defense, uh, they're a really a pretty good team because they, they, they are able to score in so many different ways. I mean, 
it sure, certainly doesn't help that that Cam Thomas was as awesome as he was. I mean, basically, Cam Thomas was uh, even better than Trey Mann was, and Trey Mann was awesome. Uh, so I think, like, for me, that's kind of what it came down to. And when we are previewing the games, is I trusted LSU to be able to make enough of those plays down the stretch, and I didn't quite trust Missouri. Uh, when LSU was going to be able to lock in defensively. I think the the key to beating LSU is to kind of do, um, you know, what Missouri has kind of done in the past and, and hasn't been able to kind of secure it, but they they needed to kind of get out into that kind of low teens uh, but double-digit lead area. And they, they could never quite, I think they got to six and never quite extend it. Um but that Florida matchup, yeah, like that's that's a really good road win. And what's interesting is, um, I mean, if you look at like the, the the metrics and all the advanced stuff, like that week was always very likely to be kind of a one in one week. It ended up being a one in one week, but you pick up a, a really big road win and turn around and lose a, a you know a game at home. Uh, just a weird year. The Florida game unfolded in a in a way that I didn't necessarily expect. I thought Missouri would have trouble scoring at the rim and maybe just with Florida's length and athleticism that they have there. And I thought, you know, maybe Missouri might struggle to value the ball a little bit. And it was sort of the opposite of that, at least in one way. Missouri was able to shoot the ball pretty well. Um, They were able to get timely buckets. They were able to score when they needed to score. And Florida was the one that was, you know, not sound with the ball. And I think, you know, as you pointed out in study hall, Florida, when it held onto the ball, was a, almost a death machine, especially when Trey Mann was the one, you know, operating with the ball in his hands. But, you know, they absolutely sapped themselves of possessions, especially in the first half. And then Missouri doing enough on the glass, you know, to offset maybe not the best shooting numbers around the rim. Missouri just generated more possessions. And I think that that was something that I thought was going to be kind of the issue for them going into that game. And, you know, credit to them for going on the road and executing. Um, and then just down the stretch, I thought, you know, this is a team this year that we've seen play well in some late game situations, and, and that came up on the road there. I thought Mitchell Smith was really, really, he was good all night, but I thought, he, you know, I keep coming back to the stretch where he, he hits a pick and pop three, which almost no one would expect Mitch to do, and then comes down and just plays really good, solid positional defense, moves his feet, walls up you know, plays with verticality and forces Colin Castleton into a tough shot. And I thought that was that was a really, really important sequence for them. Um, and then down the stretch, you know, Drew Smith goes and makes a play. We can talk about, you know, kind of the play design itself, but Missouri hasn't always been the best in special team situations in B-lobs and sideline out-of-bounds situations, but in late clock situations, but... They, they got an isolation there, and, and credit Drew Smith for making a play, and, and that's what you need to do if, if you're going to get those kinds of wins. Yeah. Florida Florida was you know a little bit surprising in those ways. Um, LSU, not so much. You know, as I look back on it, I, if LSU's engaged defensively, they've got a ton of length that can cause problems. Missouri struggled to finish at the rim. Um, and it was a day where I thought Mark Smith played more as a driver than a spot-up shooter. And I appreciate the fact that Mark's physical and has size and can, you know, has broad shoulders and can take contact, but he's not a driver by nature. And there were some plays there that I thought, you know, I applauded him for trying to be creative and, you know, attack north south and not settle. 
but that's not necessarily his game. I thought Xavier Pinson ran into some issues at times. Um, they really, the late stage in the first half where Bugs and Watson got going, I think kind of salvaged them a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, overall, you know, it was a day where I think if you strip out free throws from the scoring column, X and Mark had were averaging 0.64 points per shot and Jeremiah Tillman's in foul trouble. Like it, it doesn't matter how many free throws you shoot. That's just a level of offensive, not ineptitude, but just a level of struggle that's going to be really hard to overcome, especially when Cam Thomas is cooking the way he did. So I credit Missouri for finding ways to get to the line and trying to keep that margin close. But realistically, you know, it, it, LSU defended well enough to, to make life hard for Missouri, and those guys score at an efficient enough a clip to, to get a win. So a little bit different than how I thought it I might it might unfold, but not entirely unexpected. And at the end of the week, it, it was a one-on-one week, which we both thought was going to happen. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the Tillman thing was really important um, for Missouri. Like, one of the reasons why Missouri's two-point offense has been uh, far more efficient this year is is mainly because of Jeremiah Tillman being a lot better in that uh, arena. Um, you know, Tillman only took three shots. Um, he only made one of them. Um, which, I mean, that's that's an unusual performance for, for Jeremiah and not something that, that I think you would expect. If, if you'd have told me that you know, Tillman is a guy who's, who's really done a good job of staying out of foul trouble all year. Um, you know, he's fouled out of, he did fell out of the Florida game. Um, but when he's fouled out, he's been playing like 24 and 28 minutes. There haven't been quick foul outs. Yeah, yeah. Which... He did foul against Illinois also. Um, I was trying to think because there was one other game where he fouled out. But those, he's fouled out twice this year. Um, he played 30 minutes against Florida. Uh, and fouled out, so that's that's not too bad. Um, and he was able to, after picking up that fourth foul, like you know, Conzo basically knew he had to kind of play him some, uh, and he ended up getting the twenty-four minutes. But but still, like there were large segments of the first half, large segments of the second half where where Tillman was not on the floor, um, and and Missouri was not able to kind of help him around the rim. And I really kind of thought, you know, like LSU does a lot of switching. Uh, sometimes it kind of just looks like a zone because they just switch so much. Um, I think part of the reason that Wade probably does that is because he knows that Trenton Watford is an inherently lazy defender. Uh, and so you just let him just take whoever the guy that runs across his face. Um, I thought what they did post-defense-wise was effective, though. That they changed where the direction of doubles came from, timing of doubles. I, I thought they had a nice. I'll, I'll give away credit there. I thought they did a nice job disrupting and sort of throwing Tillman off there. I think Eric Fawcett, who we both think is a good Florida writer and follows them well, kind of made the point that Florida was lazy in trapping Tillman, and I don't think that was the case. I just think teams have gotten into this rut where they say, "Okay, we're gonna we watch the tape from last year. We're gonna send that backside baseline double to him." As soon as he makes the catch, we're gonna yeah. send that guy. He's gonna try to spin off the defense. And He's gonna try right in, right into another defender. Yep. And what Tillman's figured out how to do is he's now he's now peeking over that shoulder, waiting, and then he'll reverse pivot and wheel out, face opposite 
to the opposite side slot and then begin to assess where he wants to go. What Florida did, what LSU did, I should say, was smart was they would either hold that backside defender over so he didn't have a dump across the lane because that was another thing he's gotten pretty good at doing is when that helps come, he's just kind of dumped it over. So when he takes that first dribble, they would send the guard to dig down off the wing and sort of wait for that first dribble. And then when he came, and if he turned, they would then send the second doubler from the baseline side. So now you've got Tillman disrupted, and now the backside help's coming. Or if he managed to turn away from the dig into the lane going over his left shoulder, they for some reason I probably just noticed it more, it was Javante Smart would drop from the elbow and kind of crowd him. So they were changing the direction, the timing, so he couldn't really figure out where and when that pressure was going to come from. And I think that just frustrated him because Missouri was getting over the last couple of games and why Mark Smith was playing well was Tillman has been able to wheel out, kind of assess, and really get some skip passes to Mark. And Mark's either able to catch and shoot or he can get a ball reversal off of it to, you know, if he's playing a little bit more towards the wing or he can drive it. Without that happening, it really kind of disrupted kind of that flow and how Missouri wants to move the ball a little bit and the timing of the offense. So I thought... You know, I, I'll credit Wade for that. I thought that was a smart adjustment for them. And, it, and on top of the foul trouble, it just really discombobulated him all day. Yeah, I mean, the, the defensive, you know, approach for them is usually pretty sound. It's just they've, they tend to uh, get a little lazy. Laps. The, well, yeah, they tend to get a little lazy at, like, the second level. Um, so it's really the rotations like, are slow, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not always that... And, you know, I tend to think this is probably when you're, you don't have a high enough payroll to get your guys to care enough about defense. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to dig on Will Wade. My, my, my general opinion on Wade is that he's actually a pretty good coach. Uh, I think he knows the game of basketball. I think his, his approach with his players um, and how he coaches them up is, is really pretty good. Um you know, but it helps to have that kind of payroll, and it's very clear that I mean he's he's bringing in some assassins. Um, so yeah, I mean it 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 sucks that this whole thing has gotten to the point where you know the NCAA is has still not like levied a decision on on Wade and LSU won't fire him because then you know they don't have enough uh, they they don't have enough evidence. <laughs> to basically with Get the NCAA the to, to yeah to fire him for you know for for cause so it's just it's one of those things like they're in a tough spot so I know why he's still employed there I think it's funny that people people can't figure that out it's not because LSU wants him there they know it's it's a it's a bad look uh, so as soon as the NCAA levies those allegations uh, or or they go through whatever process they're going to go through. I, I think Will Wade is eventually going to have to find a new home. Um, however, uh, it like for, for the time being, like you know that he was paying for Javante Smart, who is now in his third year in an LSU uniform. So I just think it's funny. Like they're going to have to uh, forfeit. I, I vacate I think is uh, is what they always do we're going to vacate all these wins like all these wins are going to be vacated because Javante Smart was illegally paid um, it's just a it'll be interesting to see it, it all kind of come to fruition uh, but in the meantime LSU's a pretty good basketball team yeah uh, I'm 
at the end of the day, you know, this is the out. I got the outcome I wanted from this, which was there was one more quad one win there. They're at seven now. Um, the win on Florida, the win at Florida, pretty much I think locked them into anything better than an eight seed. Like I think a lot. I think they'd have to have something terribly go go terribly wrong on Thursday against Georgia to fall to the eight line, like solidly into the eight line. I think the win at Florida kind of put them on that six seven cut line. And it, it tees them up for a week where I think if I think if they make a run to Sunday, if their legs are not just jello by then, maybe a five seed could be in play. But I think the more likely goal going to Nashville is to try and do just enough to get off that seven line and get to the six. So that I think that's where you are, you know. People can talk about, you know, how does the bracket set up for a run, whatever. I, I think the goal is to win, for me, you know, a person who is not a basketball coach who wants to win every game and driven by that, but me as a person who is just a neutral observer on this, is to win two games and get solidly on the sixth line. That that That's the goal, going to Nashville and come out healthy. But I don't know what your initial thoughts were when you saw the, the seeding line come out at you know, they open with Georgia on Thursday at the 7 p.m. Eastern, which is in my time zone, so we're going to do that. They open at 7 against Georgia on Thursday. The next day, they got to come back if they win and face Arkansas again in the 7 p.m. slot. But then, as you noted, this is where things get fun, is that fun jump from playing on Friday night to midday Saturday, where you've <laughs> got to bounce back. And I'm trying to think here, do the math three hours and about 15 hours come back and play uh, in the semifinal round on Saturday. Uh, just well, a, let's just, let's kind of do it like this. Let's, let's just look at the, um, not necessarily just Missouri's path, but just the overall look of the bracket. So we know Auburn uh, is abstaining from postseason play. Uh, because they found themselves in violation of NCAA rules, and they're trying to kind of nip that in the bud. Um, so the first round is uh, there aren't there are only thirteen teams: Vanderbilt, Texas A&M. Uh, Vanderbilt is the twelve. The A&M is thirteen. Um, and so that's on Wednesday at six p.m. These are Central times. Uh, the next day, Thursday, Mississippi State gets Kentucky in the 8-9 game at 11. Uh, Florida, in the 5 spot, awaits Vanderbilt Texas A&M winner. Um, then in the evening session, Missouri-Georgia, and following them is Ole Miss-South Carolina. Uh, we knew kind of going into uh, this week that it was pretty unlikely that Missouri was going to make it into the protected seed uh, area they were just going to have to get a whole lot of uh, results to kind of go their way in order for that to happen. So it was, it sort of felt like the best they could get is is a five. So if you're looking at a the difference between a five and a seven seed, um, I'm actually kind of happy like they're not going to have to play South Carolina. I just don't like playing. Um, it, it, at least when you've beaten somebody twice already, and unless like sometimes you're just like that much better. And I'm not necessarily convinced that, you know, like South Carolina couldn't get hot and knock Mizzou out. 
Um, so I'm, I was kind of looking at would I rather play Georgia and kind of be able to avenge that loss or South Carolina or possibly, you know, the winner of uh, Vanderbilt A&M. I think Florida's going to have their hands full with the winner of Vanderbilt A&M. Uh, Vandy's been playing a lot better. Uh, Texas A&M certainly uh, took matters to Arkansas at Arkansas. I mean, they're, they've only been back for like a week and um, – they almost pulled off an upset at, at Arkansas. So I I actually kind of like the way this lays out for, for Mizzou. So, yeah, so that's the second round. Quarterfinals, Alabama will play the winner of Mississippi State, Kentucky. Tennessee then gets probably Florida. Um, Arkansas, winner of Georgia, Missouri. So Mizzou is looking at a third game against Arkansas. They split the previous two. They lost an overtime game at home without Jeremiah Tillman. I have to think even on short rest of, of just a quick day turnaround that you're still feeling like you can go into that Arkansas game and, and get out of there with a win. Uh, and then hopefully just find a way to, to, you know, make it to that, the semifinals, which it's a quick turnaround. And this is the thing that kind of like, I really wish the SEC, and I, I realize a lot of this has more to do with like, yeah, it's, it's TV stuff. Um, but I really wish that they would find a, a different way to do this because this is a brutal turnaround. Um, so imagine not even like Missouri, Arkansas, but if you're, so let's say Ole Miss beats South Carolina. And so it's Ole Miss LSU. Whoever wins that game, uh, like you have to feel horrible if it's Ole Miss because uh, then they have to turn around on an even shorter rest and play a game. Uh, and if Arkansas beats Missouri, Arkansas will will be playing one game and then turning around playing another game. If it's Missouri, you're now playing a third game on the third day and basically like two and a half days. Yeah, the the eight nine winners just ab- get absolutely trucked trucked in this schedule because if you're playing in basically on the one four seed side of the bracket, those teams play at noon and two twenty five on Friday. The winners of those games play at 1 p.m. the next day. So basically a 24-hour turnaround. If you were in the eight games 8 and 9, you're playing on a 15-hour turnaround. You, there's a 6-hour gap there, and that that's substantial, especially I think on this side of the bracket it matters too because Georgia plays with tempo, Arkansas plays with tempo, LSU plays with tempo, Missouri will play with tempo. You will be on two and a half days, three games, two and a half days with teams that have have shown a willingness to go north of seventy-two possessions per game. Like it, it's. I, I hope they're all properly hydrated and IVs are ready. It's just the tempo and the pace at which these guys play and the energy they're going to exert is going to be tough when you go into that semifinal game. Um, for Missouri, I like the Arkansas matchup. Um, Arkansas is hot, but if you look at how Arkansas has played in its quad one wins and how Missouri has played in its quad one wins, um, Missouri and Arkansas, uh, Missouri's actually played better. Missouri's got a better adjusted efficiency rating. Um, or Actually, it's close. They're basically 29.5. So they're basically equal in their quad one wins and basically equal in their losses. Uh, Arkansas, uh, as I think I told you earlier today, Arkansas and Missouri are very similar. Arkansas is peaking late. Missouri peaked early. But uh, the underlying metrics for how they play 
uh, in losses and in good wins are basically the same. Missouri just has three more losses. And what's dragging Missouri down and what can skew your view of what Missouri is is probably just two awful trips to Mississippi. But as we've seen, even for ourselves, Missouri and Arkansas are pretty comparable. Um, If Missouri's got Tillman, I think that's a really good matchup for them. Maybe they'll have a little bit of momentum coming off a win the night before, and they can get that win. If they get the win over Arkansas, uh, to me, that that's a sufficient enough trip to Nashville. That's eight quad one wins at that point. There'll be no quad two. There'll be no quad three losses on their resume. I would think if they you know handle Arkansas pretty solidly, maybe that would be enough to kind of bump them to the six six line. But you know uh, they looked good against LSU too. So if you know, if they get a rematch on a neutral floor, maybe they can pick off LSU. And then if you're getting to Sunday, then I think we can have a discussion about whether or not a, a five seed's in play. But if they could just get wins over Georgia and Arkansas go th- and be 3-0 and against those teams with Jeremiah Tillman playing for them, I think that really helps the seeding picture for them when Selection Sunday rolls over. Yeah, and that's another thing that I think uh, is, is worth pointing out that um... – if you're able to avenge losses that you have, you know, on your resume without Jeremiah Tillman, uh, and and you win those games with him, uh, after you already have a win over Arkansas at Arkansas with Tillman by thirteen, uh, yeah, and and the game, you know, it 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 was a, I mean, it wasn't a blowout, but it, it wasn't a close game. Like Missouri held the lead. Uh, at double digits for a significant portion of the second half, um, you know. So I think at that point you're 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 essentially establishing yourself as like, hey, this is our resume, and this is our resume with Jeremiah Tillman. Uh, you see, he lost two games. We had a little bit of a, a bumpy stretch, but you know, two of those games he was out for. If if you're just able to flip one of those results, then I think all of a sudden you're feeling a lot better about where Missouri is, and I think. That's kind of the, the area where I kind of come down with a lot of the people who are, you know, freaking out about Missouri's 8-8 eight and eight record and stuff like this, like on Twitter uh, after the game. And, and why I always kind of feel the need to explain, like, how a lot of, a lot of this stuff works. And that's why I spent so much time writing that, that damn Ole Miss column uh, last week. But it's I think it's important to kind of understand that when you're talking about low possession or, or, you know, single possession games, games that kind of come down to something that is uh, within one possession with so much uh, time left in the game. Uh, you know, Dave Matter had tweeted out something that Missouri was like six and one and, and games decided by five points or less. I think it's a little misleading um, because that very conveniently omits uh, LSU um, which was a six-point loss. Uh, it also omits uh, Ole Miss, which was a seven-point loss. Uh, and I don't think any case could be made that those those weren't close games. I mean, those games were uh, tied in the final five. Right. I mean, they were they were incredibly close, and the margin became more than five points because free throws uh, at the end. Free throws at the end, and and so. I actually went went through, and I can kind of run these out real quick. I was c- curious, Matt. I was uh, I went through every game where the game was within one possession and under five minutes to play, 
and Missouri's record in those games. Uh, so that was Illinois, Bradley, TCU, Kentucky, Alabama, the second Arkansas game uh, at Georgia, Ole Miss at home, and then both Florida and LSU. Uh, so they lost four of those games. Um, so six and four, basically, games that you're deciding in the final five minutes. Yeah, and and there were some... I mean, obviously, we, we know how things kind of turned out at Bradley. Bradley had an eight-point lead with, like, 344 to go. Uh, Missouri closed that game on a 12-3 run. Um, the TCU game, Missouri closed that on, like, a 19-7 uh, run. Um, you know, like, they did a good job against Kentucky, but, I mean, like, it was still, like, they didn't close things in, in grand fashion. I guess um, my thing is, which which results would people flip? Do they right. want to? Like, do they want to? Do you want to flip wins over Alabama and Illinois to have wins over Ole Miss and uh, well, so, LSU? And I, I would even say say it like this way: like if you were to just take one of those games and flip it back to Mizzou, like one of the losses, one of these four losses, then. All of a sudden, like the the overall, uh, I guess, voices on Twitter, the small vocal minority of people that that seem to scream the loudest after losses, um, I think they're, they're a lot quieter with just one more win. Whether that's you know Arkansas in overtime, Georgia at Georgia, Ole Miss at home, or LSU, so it's four games, and all of those games, and I kind of demonstrated the Ole Miss game. Uh, you could go back, and LSU came down to basically one possession. Um, you know, whether it was, you know, Pinson's missing of a shot or, or, or not, you know, forcing a miss on, on Watford. Um, you know, the, the Arkansas game, I thought there was I'm trying to recall exactly, but I think there was some kind of layup that, that Pinson missed that would have given Missouri like a three point lead and, and it rolled off the rim and instead, you know, they're only up one, um, you know, but like all these games, and, and so the Georgia game is, is they obviously ended up losing by ten. Um, you know, but that game was there was a separation that happened at just under the five minute mark, so that's why it's included in there. But um, but I think if if you were to just flip one of those results, the Arkansas, Ole Miss, and and LSU, then all of a sudden everyone's not not talking about this. And so the frustration that I get is is you're talking about results that are coming down to. A single possession of did you or did you not make a play? And if Drew Smith doesn't convert a layup at Florida, and Florida goes to overtime and beats Missouri in overtime, like now you're having a different conversation. So like all of this stuff when you, when those close games come down to such tight possessions, sometimes you just you don't make the shot. Uh, my. I think if you're frustrated about anything, it shouldn't be the close game results because six and four in those games is is really good, especially when you look at that it's netted them. Arguably, it's their two best wins on the resume against Alabama and Illinois. Right. The one thing I think that that hurts them in the seeding picture is are, are the two trips to Mississippi, and you know we can have a where I think there were those are more worrisome in the sense that. Those weren't close games where they they were decided at the margins. Those were more full system collapses for stretches, for long stretches. 
Yeah. You know, at Ole Miss, I'd argue that it wasn't so much defense as much as it was offense. You know, Molinar and Stewart were hitting contested mid-range jumpers. And if you go back and look on film, Missouri's defense is actually pretty good contesting some of those shots. Missouri couldn't score in the second half of that game. And the defensive effort against Ole Miss in Oxford was not good. The pick-and-roll defense was terrible. And so those were more structural breakdowns. And if you look at what's really dragging their resume, it's those two losses. If you flip those two, if you flip, a, if you cut the losses against Tennessee, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State down to 10, Missouri's underlying metrics probably put them closer to a five seed right now. The close losses down the stretch here are frustrating, and, you know, I get why fans get upset about them, but they're fundamentally not changing, like, the resume here. They're not changing the metrics that the committee's going to look at. Missouri's still going to have seven quad one wins. What hurts Missouri and what's acting as a drag on them are games that happened earlier in the schedule. And those would worry me more because those were more... What happened in those games wasn't a scouting thing. It wasn't an execution thing. It, it was they just... Everything kind of broke down and collapsed. And we knew Missouri was going to have a couple games like that this year. A lot of teams have had games like that. You know, if you go look at the Big Ten, go look at some of the Big Ten teams. Like Michigan gets shellacked by 18 at Minnesota back in December. Like there are some teams that go on the road and just get drilled by 20 points. Top teams and top leagues have had some blowouts. There have been some weird outcomes. But Missouri going on the road and getting bushwhacked twice in the state of Mississippi is probably, I'd argue, is what's hurting them more mm-hmm. and what's left a bigger dent on their resume. And the issue is there's no way to buff that out at this point. Like Once we crossed the 15-game threshold, the number of possessions got to the point where the only thing that can fundamentally change your efficiency margin are outliers, and that's big wins or big losses. So if Missouri's going to go in to Nashville this weekend, you know, if some fans think if we get to Sunday, maybe we get in line for a four seed, Missouri's going to have to napalm people for three days. Like, three good teams to get back there. So... I think in aggregate, this team's always been a six or a seven seed. It's it's its profile's always kind of skewed that way. How it's unfolded maybe has been frustrating for people, but the metrics have been telling us that story since December. Um, well, and, and I'd, I'd also like to point out, kind of to uh, to help make your point, um, is I, I was kind of curious as you were kind of mentioning. Um, some of the Big Ten teams kind of going on the road and, and just getting slack. We know Michigan uh, lost big to Illinois recently. We also know Michigan had a bad loss at Minnesota, uh, and they also just lost a rivalry game at Michigan State, but that was that, that was a close game. But two blowout losses, um, and to a team that, uh, by all accounts, is a one seed. So weird results do happen, right? And and so you can you can sort of explain uh, weird results in in one-offs so I just pulled up Ohio State and their resume because I know there's some people kind of talking about how they've lost uh, they've lost their last four games um, 
at one point they were a top five team. Uh, they're not really top five anymore. They're they're still seventh in Kempom, but I mean the Big Ten is just one of those things like because everybody's good. Like even when you lose, like your your metrics don't change much. Um, but Ohio Ohio State lost on the road to Minnesota by seventeen. Um, their next worst loss. Uh, let's see. Iowa, I guess. They lost pretty bad to Iowa. They had trouble, trouble scoring that game. So that was a, a top five loss. Uh, Minnesota's kind of at the bottom of the conference. So that's one bad loss to a, uh, you know, at one point Minnesota was top 25, but a, a team that certainly is, is not an NCAA tournament team. And another not great loss to Iowa. So if Missouri had a not great loss to Tennessee and just one blowout <laughs> to a team that isn't great, then I think we're having a different conversation. If they don't melt down in Starkville, I think it's a different conversation. Right. If, if, if they're able to like pull that win out and then they have like an ugly loss uh, at, at Ole, Miss. Ole Miss, they still have a home loss to Tennessee. Uh, that was 20 points. Like I, I think that you're, you're at the point where you're saying, okay, those are ugly losses, but look at all these other teams with ugly losses. This is a team that's probably in the conversation for a five seed if they can have uh, the right luck in in Nashville. Maybe we talk protected seed, four seed. I, I just like I think the discussion that we've and when I wrote this a couple weeks ago was you could see the metrics starting to align. Like I think what happened was they. The Tillman injury sort of exacerbated that regression a little bit, but I think they'd always been headed back towards that five to seven seed range, and that's where they've settled, and that's where they've kind of like nestled in over the last several weeks. Um, and that's not a bad spot to be. Uh, I, 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 you know, when you're when you're projected to finish tenth in the SEC, and you wind up finishing three spots better, you win seven quad one games, and you're in line for a six or seven seed in March. That's a successful season. That's that's exceeding expectations. Were there some frustrating moments? Sure. But this season's been weird. <laughs> and every team sort of had those moments where they've looked more than human. Um, but all that really matters is that on Selection Sunday, you're going to see your name come up in the bracket and you're going to have a chance to get a win. And maybe if, if things go right for you in the second round, maybe you're in the, in the second weekend. Um, but I look at where this team is right now and even my skepticism in the preseason. And I and I'm as and you know this, I'm as I'm as big of a glass half empty guy as anyone. They they achieve what they needed to achieve. And given the structure of this roster, given what we knew about its limitations, its weaknesses, and also its strong suits, I, I think they've maxed out or come close to maxing out what I thought the ceiling was for them. I don't know about you, but I think they're about as close to what I thought their ceiling could be. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of going into the season, um, you know, I, I thought, I thought that they looked to me like they would be a top half of the SEC team. I did not see a team that was going to be 10th in the league. And as long as they were healthy, I thought that they would, you know, be 500 or better. Um, and when you look at the fact that they didn't play uh, a second game against AM and they didn't play Vanderbilt, um, and you know credit to those teams for for being tough, uh, but I just don't think that those are games that Missouri would lose. Uh, so 
you know, in a in a normal year, this is a a team that's won ten uh, SEC games and um, and a team that probably has you know another ten non conference games, and so you're you're you know twenty wins, twenty one wins going into the SEC tournament. Like I think that's uh, that's definitely something that that you could you know point to as as where I've sort of thought this team would be if they were healthy, and I think that's another. They've had really good injury luck. Yeah, like other than having Tillman miss a couple games uh, and 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 Pickett kind of rolling an ankle, um, you know they've they've had the guys they needed to be available. Uh, you know maybe you could want Drew Smith's hand to be a little healthier, but uh, he seems to be playing pretty good with a with a banged up hand. Um, so I think like that's kind of. That's where I, that's where I'm at with with the success of the season. I still think that there are a lot of things in this team, um, you know, on the table for them. Uh, I certainly would like to see them at least win one game uh, in in Nashville. I think that's important because uh, it kind of feels like it's been a while since they've they've won a game. <laughs> um, has Kansas won a game there yet? I'm not. Huh? So the, they there wasn't, yeah, there they wasn't won. one last year. They beat Ole Miss and they lost to. Oh, that's right. Georgia. Yeah, they they beat Georgia uh, two years ago, yeah. and then they lost to Auburn in the second round. Yeah, or in the quarterfinals. Yeah, I. Yeah, that's right. That was the Jordan Geist game against uh, against Georgia. The you know the season's not over. Um, we'll have more time to do postmortems, but from where I thought the the program should be in year four. I think they're, they're about or I, or I would want them to be. Um, once, you know, we've talked about this a lot too. Once the quick rebuild kind of went out the window um, with the Porters, um, I think the question was how quickly could you get Missouri back to 20 wins, five, you know, top half of the SEC and into the NCAA tournament. Like that, like when you look at the last two decades and you sort of look at what Missouri and puts into the program that should be the baseline is probably like 10 and 8 in a 6 or 7 seed in March and 5 or 6 quality wins. And I think Missouri's there. Um you know, there are people that are going to freak out about what comes next year, but I think in year 4, you know, given what the situation was and you know, not just from what Conzo inherited from Kim, but from the injury issues that have cropped up and all the other stuff and all the other variables that have come into play to be where they are. It, 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 I think it's good uh, you know, that that's not, you know, revelatory or anything, but to be back to baseline or somewhere close to that four years in is good to have stability is good. Um, there's still some stuff on the table for this team, but I think at a minimum, you know, they, they've done a lot to help reestablish a baseline for where fans want the program to be. I think consistency moving forward is what's going to sell people on, on Martin long term, um, and I don't, and I understand why people are skeptical. This this has been not the smoothest of rebuilds, and there's a potential heavy reset coming next year. I get it, but you know, to have two tournament bids in four years, and had Porter and had Jonte Porter not been hurt, maybe three in four years. You know, I, I think it, there's there's signs that the program is at least healing at a pretty steady rate um mm-hmm. it's not all the way back it's not 
in complete fighting shape, but I think it's in, it, it, it's where it bears a closer resemblance to what most of us expect and, and know of this program. Yeah, so I, I would say the... Uh, I, I mean, you definitely want to see some results um, in Nashville and then uh, you know beyond in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I still think this is a team, you know, with the way that they play, the sort of the craftiness of, uh, of Drew Smith. And, and if you get the right matchup, um, you know, I, I, I think this is a team that, that could be, you know, playing in the second weekend. Um, yeah, but that's, I, I, like, this is sort of my issue with people that put a lot of emphasis on March is March is really weird and there's no guarantee of, of, anything once you get to the tournament you know it's it's a single elimination which means that uh you know to kind of you know play the role of any anybody who listens to the Iron college basketball podcast uh you know gary Parrish and matt nornlander sort of like to sarcastically state the obvious uh, about you know like a lot of things that people don't know they're the only four teams make the final four um but in that single elimination like anything can happen uh and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it is just a toss-up. So I don't really like to, um, I don't really don't like to look at the results of March, but I do think that that the way that this team is built and and sort of the way that they played up to a lot of their competition, that if they get the right matchup, sure, like they could they could send a you know a, a two seed or a three seed uh, home in the second round because of how weird this year is. And because of, you know, I, I still am a big believer in, in Gonzaga and, and Baylor and, and Michigan. And I, you know, even um, if I was an Illinois fan, I'd be really pretty pleased with my team at this point. But I just don't, I mean, after like the, the sort of top level teams, I mean, if you get Houston, I mean, like as, as a two seed, or uh, if you get, I don't know, like, what Villanova going to be a three seed? Like, are, are you worried about Villanova if it's Con Gillespie's out and um, like and so like that's kind of where where I'm at as far as if Missouri if Missouri gets matched up against you know like Iowa, I think they'd have a lot of trouble with Iowa because Iowa can shoot the lights out. Now if Iowa shooting leaves them for a game, you can beat them, but. Like there are matchups all along college basketball where I think Missouri will fare better than they will against others, and if they get that matchup, great. If not, like I'm not really going to worry about um, whether or not I think this year was a success based upon if Missouri is a Sweet 16 team. I just think like that's kind of where um, where where I'm at when it comes to the tournament. I I think the bigger or a better evidence will be what. If they if they can continue to make regular trips into the bracket, what's their average seed look like over time? Are you giving yourself an opportunity to earn quality seeding and create a potential path into the second weekend? Nothing says you're going to get there and do it, but are you moving your average seed from seven, eight to five or six? Mm-hmm. Are you getting? Are you earning? protected seeds more regularly basically are you positioning yourself after selection sunday to have a favorable path nothing you know if you do that enough 
then those trips sort of ultimately sort of worked themselves out. But I think the bigger deal for Missouri is, are they positioning themselves well going into March and, and, you know, having opportunities in the future to make those kinds of runs? I don't feel, it feels like there hasn't been a lot of success in March because Missouri has been down for a lot of years. Um, They're not even, the fact that we're discussing seeding is, is almost feels like, you know, Oh, I had, I still had this limb. I thought it was gone. It's like, to have to like refamiliarize yourself with, oh yeah, this is how like we're gonna move between seating lines. Like it, that hasn't been a conversation we've had to have a lot. Well, just um, one one trip in eight years, um, and in that trip, you were everyone was hurt. Yeah, you were reduced <laughs> to playing Brett Rao, a, a walk on, um, and then. You know, Haith obviously lost in the first round both years, uh, uncomfortably so. So it's it's been a while, uh, and and but just that one trip in eight years, and it, yeah, it feels like it's been forever since Missouri's won a game in the NCAA tournament. But just they haven't that. had chances. Like it, it, if you <laughs> if you do make it a more regular appearance. Yeah, and let's say let's say Conzo coaches another five years, and in, in those five years he makes four trips, and he doesn't win any of those trips. Then I'd be like, all right, is like we've kind of seen this play over and over again, particularly if he's like an eight nine seed every year. Um, like at some point you want to see some results, but you have to get there to to see those results. And, and I, I think that's my my consternation here is like, just because you can say this is a good year doesn't mean that you are accepting it as excellence. Like as this is the pinnacle of what the program should be. I think, you know, we can all walk and chew gum at the same time. We can look at this season and look at where it fits into the context of what, of Missouri's recent history and of what Martin's trying to do here and say this particular season within the constraints of what we, you know, what this team was facing and what success would be, they achieved it. Now there has to be, now you move on to kind of the next stage of the, or the next sequence here, which is, can you go into the off season with a roster that's going to be young? Can you identify potential help in the transfer market to smooth that transition? Can you get through next season with a pretty respectable performance? And can you tee up a good class in 2022? Like, I don't think Ms. I think my larger point is I don't think Missouri is at the point where it can start saying we're going to stack classes where there's seamless transitions year to year. Missouri's still trying to get to the point where I think it has the stability where it can go out and sell or at least recruit guys who can make that possible. And I know that points is one that sticks in the craw of, again, that vocal fan base that Martin hasn't landed, the caliber of talent that kind of helps avoid reset years like this. That, that's the next step. And look, I, I think you, and again, we'll say this for the offseason, but I think that's sort of the next step here is, okay, Martin has shown that he can take a developmental roster, build something cohesive, earn a quality seed, and take it into March. That doesn't mean that's where we go, okay, that's the bait, that's, that's it, that's what we accept. I think he still has to show that he can land the kind of players, whether that's via the prep route or via the transfer market, that can smooth out the dips and begin to start stacking consistent trips together. So we're having a conversation about Missouri as a protected seed, but I think you've got to start somewhere. And this is, and this is the point where you need to be along that progression and along that sort of track. So 
it again, I, I think people should sort of be happy with where the season is, take it as a good signpost, and now understand that there's gonna that the expectations are gonna get ratcheted up, and we'll we'll see if Martin can meet them. Yeah, well, that's all I got. Um, is it? It, well, it is. So uh, Missouri plays Georgia. We've already kind of talked about Georgia and the pace. I don't think we need to kind of rehash that. This is a game that Missouri should win. Um, I I think if they're able to establish Tillman, uh, this is a game that they will be able to win by 10 or more points. Um, but it really comes down to controlling uh, the pace a little bit, getting the results that you want, and making Georgia play in the half court. Um, if they can do that, then they will move on. Um, and regardless, you and I are going to be back to talk about the results of the SEC tournament next week and preview the NCAA tournament, which Missouri was going to be a part of, Matt. That's a good thing. Like, we get we get to talk about, like, actual basketball that matters in March, like, this is this is progress. So let's uh, let's be happy with progress. And uh, you got anything coming down the pipe that you want to prime everybody for? Uh, hopefully, I'll have this piece on just kind of explaining Missouri's where it sits in the seating picture this week. Uh, I would like to have some sort of piece done on just kind of our p- picks for all the SEC honors and awards because we're gluttons for punishment that way. Um, but I'm disappointed that we have to that we're going to put off our talk of all the people in the transfer portal that that that's been an annual staple for mid-march because you and me going through the going through the transfer portal and like assessing guys we're, we're gonna have to put that off to talk about real basketball yeah yeah we're gonna wait um until there's no more actual basketball to talk about um in the meantime we're going to just strictly talk about basketball so the recruiting talk will have to uh have to wait but 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 some of the people in the timeline want to know who who, who they're talking to already. <laughs> you can tweet, you can tweet it out and uh, and, and let even us all the, know. Even though, even though the games are still being played. Well, yeah. So like you, you did kind of mention like the you know the, a potential hard reset. Like I think it's fair to say that next year is going to be a hard reset, no matter the success level, because of the amount of turnover and and production that Missouri is going to have to replace. So regardless of whether or not Missouri is good next year, it's going to be a reset. That's fine. Like I, 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 I acknowledge that. That's coming. Yeah. Like they, they could make the NCAA tournament again next year, Matt. It's, it's a possibility. I mean, people are going to come back at you in a year in your timeline and remind you of that. But that, that's, that's your funeral for your mentions. But uh, I say we get out of here and let people go on about their day. Well, I did. Uh, yeah, I was reminded of something I said as Oral Roberts, um, a a Missouri opponent from earlier this year, uh, clinched their berth to the NCAA tournament. Um, did you watch the finish to that game? I did not. I did not see the end of that game. So, watching the Mizzou Oral Roberts game, I apparently tweeted out, "I really like this ORU team. They're well coached, run good sets, play really hard. This is a good first opponent to kick off your season. They'll they'll push you." And uh, uh, Zach Psych- at PsychoZ50 um, said, I saw them live last year at Western. Offensively, it's really impressive to watch, and with added experience to O'Banner, uh, among others, they have a real shot to end the Dakota reign in the summit. Zach you nailed did it. it. You he did it. nailed it. Good job, buddy. 
screw the Dakotas. All they got up there is like Oprah Prairie, shale, oil, and more prairie. Because <laughs> Oklahoma has none of those things. Yeah. No prairies, no oil. It's a, it's a verdant land in Oklahoma. Nothing at all similar to the Dakotas. Hey, speaking of transfers, uh, Jameson Battle has already heard from Arkansas. <laughs> this is I said this a year ago. It, it's uh you aren't officially in the portal until Eric Musselman has contacted you. It's yeah. Every time e- a, each and every transfer. I, I just I, I want to know what his Twitter alerts look like and if he's just got like auto DM set up, does it just like I yeah, I think he's got like a copy paste thing down where insert name here we would love to talk coach assistant coach insert assistant coach's name here would love to talk to you are you interested and then you just see what happens i'm, I'm sure that they, they've automated it yeah but it, he uh, probably just has like a script that just like rolls through the portal and anytime a new name enters the portal it's like bling and sends a message off to uh to both uh the player and the players like aau coach do you think he's like hired someone <laughs> with like Python experience and like, you know, database yeah. management experience to like just create a bot for him? Yeah. That, like it's I mean, not actually Arkansas that's reaching out. It's just a bot. Yeah. <laughs> it's just and, then, a bot. and then if the player responds, then then they get like that. They get like an email to to <laughs> Muscleman that responds back and says, "Hey, this kid is interested. You need to call him." I mean, that's a good investment if they've done it. That's a real good investment. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna scoff at that. That that that's just good planning. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I saw that, and uh, now get prepared for every transfer to hear from Arkansas. Well, so we will be back uh, next week um, again, talking SEC tournament, uh, previewing the NCAA tournament. Uh, follow Matt on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me also for my hot political takes, and uh, we'll be back. So thanks for tuning in.